Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and in this episode, I'm joined by Alex Turner from CBRE. You may recall I quoted him in this season's trailer episode. A few weeks ago, I posted a question on LinkedIn. What if the real estate industry taught people how to be successful working remotely? Would that be counterintuitive? Instead of standing on our soapbox and yelling for people to come back to our offices, would it be more strategic if we helped educate and train people how to lead remote teams, starting with ourselves, teaching a curriculum of new leadership and communication skills, best practices, productivity tools, new ways of using our buildings to succeed? This seems like a better value-led approach. Well, enter Alex Turner. Alex and his colleague, Will Wilson from Savills, published a report on hybrid working, breaking down the benefits of working from an office and working from anywhere, basically how to get the best of both worlds. So I had to invite him onto the podcast. In this episode, we dive into this report. We talk about the demands of highly skilled talent, whether companies should repurpose their HQs for new ways of working, and what impact will this have on real estate portfolios and cities. Alex says, quote, successful companies need to be online first organizations and corporate real estate is no longer an obligatory line on the balance sheet. But he also says there's still need for real estate and demand is not going away. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, before we kick this off, you should know that I met and collaborated with Alex virtually to produce this episode. But I also look forward to meeting him face-to-face here in London soon. For now, let's go meet Alex virtually. Welcome back to the Workbold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Alex Turner, who's part of CBRE's newly formed strategic advisory team. Alex is focused on solving the business challenges that interface with real estate. His team delivers value to their clients across physical and digital transformations, smart buildings, and major infrastructure projects such as East-West Rail here in London and TFL Transport for London. In his spare time, Alex is also helping to educate and build a global community of blockchain advocates as part of the committee and community lead for Tech London Advocates. Prior to joining CBRE, Alex spent time with Capital Real Estate and Berkeley Group PLC, where he focused on real estate and planning and development, respectively. He holds a Master's of Sciences in International Real Estate and Planning from UCL, University of College London, and completed his undergrad at University of Liverpool. Welcome to the Workbowl Podcast, Alex. Hi, Caleb. Thank you for having me. It's great to uh, great to be here. As a long-term fan of the podcast, it's, it's awesome to finally be on here. Well, you're too kind. Thank you. I've <laughs> become a uh, fan of yours after reading your hybrid work report, which um, we're going to, we're going to dive into in a moment. Um, you know, but I, I just want to say, I think, I think we're finally moving past this binary debate about working from home versus working from the office. And it's pretty clear that the work from anywhere movement is underway. Your report on hybrid working that you published, you labeled hybrid working as hype. Can you elaborate? Certainly. I, I think first off, it's it's important to say that the the message is more important than the medium. And I think it's great that we are starting to move away from this kind of binary argument. Um, that said, I, I do think there is value in the hybrid model when done right. 
But I think too often at the moment we're seeing clients, we're seeing um, certainly people vocal within the industry um, state kind of one thing or the other without really understanding how it's done properly. So I think it's it's very easy for um, a company to you know employ a um, a work mode survey or kind of ask various business units what they think should be the um, the future ways of working of their organisation. Um, and I think that's great. And you know we've seen a lot of companies that previously you know had spent maybe five percent of them had ever worked away from the office, and now we've seen a complete inversion of that which I think is amazing. I think people are aware of the different ways that we can collaborate and work together in a remote world. That said, I do think it's one thing to have enforced remote working when there isn't the option or the choice to, to, do, to do it in any other way. And when you start to have this kind of hybrid world where people are free to choose whether they come into the office on a Monday or work from home on a Tuesday, I'm not sure yet we've seen too many examples where that's been done right um and i think you start to get this kind of culture where you know you start to reward attendance over output once again which i think has been the the big kind of benefit that we have at the moment for the first time ever we're rewarding people for the most part on their output rather than their attendance in the office and i worry that we'll return to that kind of attendance based model if you will and we'll start to reward employees who rock up in the office and those that don't will be, as I say in the article, kind of left to fumble with the mute button when it comes to promotion time and the opportunities. Well, I think the key word in everything you just said is choice. And you know, it's mm. not a question of whether people can work from anywhere or the office. The question is whether they can choose. And you know, this week, Nationwide announced that their 13,000 staff can you know, work from anywhere, they get to choose. They're actually going to close three offices because 57% of their staff said they wanted to work from home full-time after lockdown ends. Um, but 36% said they preferred a mix of home and office-based work. But then you've got Citigroup on the other side saying, over in the U.S., saying that um, that they, they're going hybrid. Uh, their CEO said that their people have benefited from so much, so much of remote working um, this past year. So they intend to create additional flexibility going forward. And they're also talking about being able to compete with other banks, but they've got to balance out keeping their company culture um, and giving people the ability to collaborate and, and have mentoring access. So um, I think the choice there and having striking that balance is the key. And, and I want to dive into that a little bit further with you. The first thing I want to ask you, though, is in that piece you wrote on hybrid working, because uh, you, 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 you have an article and then you had a report, but in the article you talked about going forward, successful companies need to be online first organizations. So why does that matter? Yeah, I, I think you've, you've hit it on the head, really. Um, two things that I think are important. First of all, choice is great. I do think choice leads to decisions and decisions lead to outcomes. And I think what we'll start to see over the next kind of year, two years, five years, is that companies do not rise to the level of their planning and that they actually fall to the level of their decision-making. So I, I think we'll start to see um, a, quite a polarization of kind of companies adopting a hybrid model, some doing it well and some doing it less well. I think the, what will be key to those successful companies going forward, as you say, will be this kind of online first approach. Now, 
I, I think that will, will require leaders that are able to navigate the new tools and routines, approaches of this digital first world. Otherwise, what you'll start to see is people will start, you know, as soon as the leaders start to head back to the office and stop kind of sharing post-meeting notes, stop kind of including people in conversations that are just happening across the desk, I think you start to see that the polarization of office culture and the polarization of outcomes. There was a discussion on LinkedIn the other day. Um, it's, I won't name names on this one, but someone <laughs> had talked about how they're actually real, it's a real estate company and, and they've been working remotely, but they've kept their offices open for some people who can't work at home productively. So, uh, but now in their area, they're not locked down. So it's not UK based, but um, as as some people have started coming back into the office, some people have chosen to stay home. And what that's created is a dynamic when the people in the office are getting together for a meeting, um, the people at home sort of, well, the questions come up is how do they keep those people at home from feeling left out? And um, someone suggested um, everyone, instead of going into a meeting room and trying to have the remote people dial in via video, but everyone getting on the phone and doing a conference call. What What's your views on people or how to, how to keep people involved and not feel yeah. left out that are working from home? I think you're right. And it's, you know, it's a point that I've been stressing all the way since kind of, you know, March time last year that, that how do you ensure an equal employee experience, regardless of whether you are at home or whether you're in the office or indeed whether you're um, joining a team's call from the park. You know, it, it's not easy to do, certainly. And I think, you know, that will be a big challenge. I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of this kind of idea that, you know, everyone joins, you know, regardless of whether there's 80% of the meeting are in the office. I'm not sure whether there's value in them all kind of having a separate screen um, and kind of joining the meeting on their own volition. Um, I, I don't know exactly how that one will work. I personally am not sure the tech right now is there to enable these hybrid meetings. I don't know whether you've um, whether you've kind of been present or attended one, but often it, it feels like the person that's not in the room doesn't get to kind of contribute in the same way or opinions maybe aren't. Um, is easily heard is well, a challenge. On that though, but pre-pandemic, forget about the work from anywhere movement for a moment. Companies mm -hmm. that have employees in different offices in the same city or in the same country or across the world, how are they then communicating? You know, and bringing people into meetings, isn't that already being dealt with? I, I think it is being dealt with, but I, I don't think it's as effective as it will be in time. I think for the Yes, companies have been doing it. Yes, employees have been doing it. You know, anyone who's worked with colleagues from you know different time zones across the world have seen that it's possible. I'm just passionate and believe that we'll eventually get to a point where we'll feel like we are all in the room together, regardless of location. And I'm not sure the technology is quite there yet, um, but I'm hopeful and optimistic that we will eventually get there. Well, maybe maybe by that time we'll have holograms and that are that are four D and. <laughs> mm. Well, I think um, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And I, you know, I I think we you can, we can get into this a little bit. It's it's around, and you know, draw Peleg um, talks about this a little bit. Is around should we be replicating that office environment? Is the idea of kind of three D VR mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, 
um, meetings, is, is that a good thing? Or should we actually be kind of moving towards asynchronous working? Should we be um, getting used to kind of bath and passes from different time zones? And actually that's, you know, having everyone's little avatar milling around a, uh, a meeting room maybe is not the kind of aspect of the work experience that we want to be replicating or, or enabling in the future. It's, it's, a, it's, a, very, it's, a, it's a difficult question and I'm, I'm not pretending to have all the answers. But I think some some organizations are starting to figure it out better than others, and, and that will be important in the future. Well, I think it's important that we, as an industry, aren't telling people necessarily what to think, but helping people in how to think and asking lots of questions. Um, and instead of us jumping on one soapbox in one direction or the other, we should be asking questions. And we should be asking questions with an open mind, realizing that the answers might mean some sort of change. And that's okay. But speaking speaking of change, you've written this, you've published this report with your with your friend over at Savills, is that right? Yeah. So this yeah, exactly. I think it's important to to touch on that as well. Will Wilson, a friend of mine, we met all online, um, kind of at the start of this pandemic, interested in similar areas to me. And we've started to collaborate. And one of the things we've collaborated on is this report. And I think that's something that more people should be in the real estate, commercial real estate industry should be aware of that, you know, just because William and I work for different companies um, that, you know, some might see as kind of rival competing firms that we can't collaborate together on on certain aspects. And, you know, I think when we come to when different perspectives and people from different companies uh, come together, I think that's how we generate better outcomes full stop. Yeah, th- absolutely. Um, well, I want to touch on some of some of the um, bits in, in the report. In there, you in the beginning, you warned that there's a lot of buzzwords and false paradigms. And we'll include a link to the report in the show notes here so people can access it. But um, we talk, you talk about how do you get the best of both worlds and, and overcome these, these false paradigms. So can you sort of share an overview of, of what people will learn from the report? Yeah, de- definitely. I think it's important just to kind of think about where the the reason, what was the why behind this report. And uh, if you're like me, and I, I know you are, Caleb, you're, you're a curious chap and have probably spent far too long reading everyone under the sun's views around the future of work. And, um, you know, whether that's kind of occupiers, developers, investors, real estate folks, you know, employees, HR, everybody has an opinion. And I think that what I was starting to see was that, yes, there's value in buzzwords and yes, value, you know, jargon can be helpful in kind of conveying points in a concise manner. But I felt that buzzwords were starting to be used as a substitute for understanding. And that as a result, we were assigning value to certain characteristics of the office of remote working without really understanding the truth. So, William and I, we put together this report, diving into some of these claims from the larger real estate companies, the larger occupiers, the kind of big four consultancies, whatever whatever we could basically get our hands on. And the aim of this was to uncover the ingredients that are integral to the hybrid work experience and try and leave behind some of those which are um, false paradigms and you know not really rooted in much evidence. 
So that was kind of the reason why we went went forward with this report. And I think what we found, I think in total, we found 30 different characteristics and we summarized these into kind of 16 more bite-sized aspects, which we think are important to be aware of and to be thinking about how you can create the recipe with these ingredients for the perfect, optimal hybrid experience. But also being aware that, you know, there is no one size fits all policy. But I think what we found in particular in this breakdown was that the office was better for, um, and, you know, this is from academic literature in particular, that the office was better for collaboration, for socializing, for communication, for creativity, for training and development of more junior members, for enabling those technical capabilities some of those um, elements which are a little bit more tricky, certainly at the moment in the remote world, preventing isolation, and also the big one, which when we're speaking to clients, is around corporate culture and how do you create that kind of collective identity and ethos is a little bit easier in the office. That's not to say I think that's necessarily how it should be done, um, but maybe that we need to try a little bit harder uh, and we can't rely necessarily on the office to enforce our corporate culture. And then on the other side, um, if we were to dive into remote or you know, work from anywhere, in general, we found that it was easier to concentrate and focus and do deep work. To find work-life balance was easier, improved well-being, improved purpose, which is interesting, I suppose, to some that might contradict that without, um, you know, that while corporate culture may be better in the office, Actually, people have more purpose and more autonomy when in a remote setting. And obviously, the big one there is kind of around flexibility. I mean, that's a bit of a no-brainer. And, of course, monetary cost. We found for the employee, it was certainly cheaper without the cost associated of commuting. You, know, you could even dive into a bit more and kind of uh, cost of food. I, I saw your post the other day about your uh, £10 press a manger Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's monetary costs associated for the employee, but also for the, the business as well. And moving towards more flexible, um, more agile working is it's fairly clear has a, uh, you know, a, a benefit in terms of space reduction and, and therefore take up of office space. I want to pick up on what you said about well-being. Yeah. And you said that well-being is one of the areas that is improved when people have the choice to work from home. Uh, but I've also heard arguments for better well-being when people are in the office um, because some people don't have great work-from-home environments. So how does that get balanced out? I, I think it's a really, really good question. And I think it's it's really interesting as well when you, I don't know how closely you've seen some of the memos that have been shared by senior leaders that in um, businesses around the globe. And you know, often the the kind of memo at the start of these lockdowns is, Everybody that is able to should work from home. But if there is an impact on your well-being and mental health, then the office will remain open for you to use it. So it, it's interesting, I think, that maybe mental health and well-being is being used now as an argument for people to return to the office when possibly in the past, you know, the office was maybe seen as a, a detriment to people's well-being and to people's mental health. So I, I think it's an important balance there. I personally, speaking kind of outside of the research, think that, you know, we have to consider that 
the the well-being issues i think that we're seeing at the moment and you know instances of mental ill health it's certainly on the rise i think are a result of the pressures of covid and the pressures of the pandemic and the pressures of the shelter in place orders that we are living under and not necessarily a reflection on that kind of office versus remote um environment chris heard who i'm sure you know he's very vocal on on twitter about all things remote works feels that you know many of the benefits of remote working won't truly be seen until the lockdown conditions have started to be lifted well yeah because um you know during this past year you know someone who might appreciate their time working from home might not have because of distractions at home that they normally wouldn't have in a uh, non-lockdown environment. Um, so I, I appreciate that you guys had, in this report, published a graphic that that showed um, on the on on the left side or the top or the bottom. I forget which direction it was now, but there was a graphic that showed the difference of the benefits that one can um, receive from working in an office and and also the benefits one can receive working from home. So it is going to be, or working from anywhere, maybe I should say, um, it is going to be interesting to see how companies balance that, um, the wants and needs of their teams with, you know, the desires of management and leadership and, and company objectives as well. Yeah, and I, I think companies that, that get it right will ensure that time spent either in the office or time spent um, working remotely, working from anywhere, that it will be as effective and maximized to the best best possible abilities, really. You know, I, I personally feel that if your office or remote environments are ineffective in, in enabling any of these characteristics, the same can likely be said about your workforce. And yep. I, I think that's the honest truth. Well, Instant Group did a survey, and the results showed that 77% of employees in that survey said that a more conveniently located office is a must-have for the next role. So clearly, the the impact of shorter commutes during this lockdown, you know, from your bedroom to the to the kitchen table to the couch or the you know whatever your home office environment has certainly left an impression, impacted people's mindsets on their commute. Um, uh, when you know when we come out of lockdown, so uh, do you see as part of the hybrid conversation, real estate portfolios shifting in a way where people come into the head office less and maybe work at a place close to home? I, I think you've hit it on the head. I think, um, you know, prior to COVID, if you were to ask, and, you know, we've polled at CBRE, we've conducted an Occupy survey. And when you get into the, the weeds of it, you start to see that prior to COVID, the biggest challenge that people encountered when working in the office was that commute. I can speak for myself personally here. I know that I've gained 26 days per year um, in additional time that I would have otherwise spent commuting. So, you know, the, the benefits for work-life balance, for hobbies, for spending time with family and friends, you know, assuming we weren't under strict lockdowns is... Um, it, it does feel like a little bit of a, uh, a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, I think that certainly will have an impact on portfolios. I think it'll have an impact on cities, headquarters, everything like that. We can dive into a few of those and we can dive into portfolios. And I think 
We can we do that because in, in the report you actually you list and break down opportunities for the various groups. So some of the ones you just mentioned, you know, but knowledge workers, management corporations, remote work tech companies, and of course commercial real estate. And that last one is sort of what I want to dive into. Um, you know, how is this going to impact coming out of lockdown when we have a hybrid or a work from anywhere movement? Uh, what how is that going to affect cities and portfolios and the HQs of the world. And um, so can we talk about that? Yeah, definitely. It's something I'm hugely passionate about. And as someone who's always been passionate about the the problems in this sector, I think we are seeing a a watershed moment um, and the opportunities in this space are significant. I've never been more excited to be working within the commercial real estate industry. So I feel the opportunities to reframe our thinking unlearn bad habits and relearn um, positive ones is 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 infinite. So yeah, let, let's definitely dive into that. And I'll definitely give some of my own opinions. The, the thing about this within the report, this was kind of seen as a bonus. So this is based upon the views of William and I, um, what we're seeing in conversations with clients, what we're seeing in conversations with colleagues, we're seeing in conversations with, with friends rather than kind of backed up by the academic evidence that the rest of the report has been. Well, let's start with cities. Um, what, what's sure. happening? What is the macro level? Yeah, let's let's go into it. So, yeah, I, I think at the macro, I, I think it's quite clear to see the secondary cities are prospering right now. You know, anybody who has um, kind of looked at options outside of places like London, places like Manchester, will see you know, the opportunities for a better quality of life, a lower cost of living, it, it does seem to be a bit of a no-brainer. Now, whether that will last well into the future, or whether that's kind of temporary, I, I can't be certain, but I certainly think secondary cities will prosper. Suburban areas on that commuter belt will thrive. Some might argue the social center of cities has kind of um, moved out a little bit, at, le at least temporarily. But I do feel, you know, Cities will still be a rite of passage for um, certainly younger people, and you know I think we will see um, I think we will see the, the population of cities becoming slightly younger. Certainly, the the kind of active working population of cities, and that you know I think that will do much to reduce. I think this whole thing will do much to reduce disparities um, between areas uh, in the future. That's interesting. Younger in age or younger in mind uh, to be determined. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely, I, I can see the the, the benefits of um, you know lower cost of living in in the in the second tier suburban areas. I always hate that term second tier because uh, it implies it's it's less important or less popular, but it's um, just less populated maybe. Okay, so it, when it comes to portfolios, then if we're talking about people being able to work from anywhere and people working at home or closer to home. What's going to happen as lease events come up over the next five years? Because I think I saw a stat, particularly in if it might have been just London, but um, sixty percent of all lease income was on terms that were going to expire or break within the next five years. So, what's going to happen to corporate real estate portfolios? It's a it's a fantastic question, and I think it's you know I think it will be very interesting over these next few years to see what the fallout is of this. I think. Corporate real estate is no longer an obligatory line of the balance sheet. So, you know, well, what will this look like in the future? I think 
many we're speaking to clients that perhaps inadvertently have accumulated large but fragmented portfolios um, without really even intending to and become you know sizable landholders as a result, often without data around where their sites are, how many employees are based at these sites, what job functions they're doing. And so we're seeing more and more people are more and more clients are looking to understand the data that they have and create data driven insights around that. I personally think these fragmented, well, not personally, it's, it's inevitable. These fragmented portfolios will be consolidated. Um, the way that occupiers interact with their real estate will become more flexible and ad hoc. And I think this will lead to a reduction in in office take up for the kind of spaces that we were using, we were seeing take up in before traditional office space. And I think we will see an increase in flex service office take up in the future, which it might be a slightly controversial thing for someone that works with CBRE to say, but I don't think just because the kind of take up of traditional office space is less, there's still a need for real estate. And I think that's something that I want people to to go away with and, you know, be excited about the fact that actually there's so many more opportunities for, you know, flex space, for third spaces, for home offices, for restaurants, cafes, whatever it is, I think we'll see demand for real estate in total. I, I don't think that's going to go anywhere personally. Well, there's, it's, it's interesting you say that, and you know, I I don't think it's um, I, I don't think it's a, a weird thing for you to say, being that you work for CBRE, because the the writing's a bit on the wall. CBRE just invested heavily um, into uh, you know into a big flex space operation, so that's uh, I think we can all uh, interpret yeah. that um, and and believe what you're saying. Um, I think what's what's going to be interesting is to what extent that leased office space when that when that gets reduced how much of that spend goes into converts into flex spend and how much of it just goes away and goes down straight to the company's bottom line so that that'll be interesting to see i'm certainly keeping a keen eye on all these companies that are announcing these hybrid and remote work policies because i want to look at their stock uh, price today (laughs) and see what it looks like in five years Uh, (laughs) yeah but, I think it's definitely a good um it's a good question and I, I think it will be interesting to to see how quickly these decisions are made. I think there's probably a little bit of a tendency at the moment to wait and kind of refrain from making large decisions around around office space right now. I think it's probably easier to shed space uh, than it would be to completely redesign a a workplace. Uh, and you know the costs associated with that when there is still quite a lot of uncertainty in the market. So it'll be interesting to see. I think what we'll we'll see is it will happen rather quickly. And uh, you know there will be a if you're if you're holding space that is not kind of able to provide some of those characteristics that we talked about in our report, and if you're not able to differentiate your offering, then I think it could be a you know a difficult time. Mm. Difficult time, certainly. Well, certainly, people need to grab this report and um, and have a have a read through for sure. I think that this is my opinion, um, but um, and I, I want to state that. But uh, the the cost savings of 
of reducing footprint, I don't think is what's going to drive a company's success in, in stock price or, or you know growth. I think it's the 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 culture shift of in a, empowering their employees to choose uh, to have workplace choice, and and on the back of that, being able to attract and and, and retain the, the top talent and compete for that top talent because that top talent makes the company smarter is going to help them grow faster. So to me, it's about the culture shift that's going to be taking place. And then, of course, from a commercial real estate perspective, how does that have a knock-on effect um, on, on, on portfolios? You mentioned about not investing right now too much, too heavily in, in new space. But I'm curious about that because you know, when it comes to the headquarters, and you touch on this in your report, when it comes to the headquarters, if companies are shrinking their footprint and sort of moving to a hybrid policy, what is going to get people to come into the HQ versus working from some of these other places, including home. Do, do you not think that companies need to reinvest in the HQ to repurpose it for a different way of working? I think the talent argument certainly feeds into the headquarters argument quite nicely. I think the two characteristics are very tightly um, interrelated. It's never been easier to access the best talent from around the world. And I think remote work will place a great emphasis on you know, the abilities, the intellectual abilities of someone rather than their locational proximity. Now, the question is, do highly skilled workers, you know, what are their demands? Do they want to be in, a, in an office five days a week? Probably not. And the ability to remain footloose will be important to that. Now, I don't think that's to say that they will never attend a headquarters. I think it's about packaging up the ingredients together in such a way that we can create headquarters that have an enticing offer and you know make people want to to attend. Um, we at CBRE have been looking at this up for our own our own site in London. CBRE UK has has invested heavily in our new headquarters. Well, not our new headquarters, our our redesigned headquarters. Um, just off Oxford Street. And, you know, I think the biggest compliment that I could pay when I saw those plans for the first time was, oh, wow, I would actually want to, it makes me want to come in. And, you know, that's not something I'd necessarily say about all the office space that I see. So what is the common kind of theme binding up the headquarters? I, I think all of the characteristics we mentioned in the report, they seem to be heavily multiplayer activities. So, they require more than just individuals. And I think the days of getting on a train and traveling X number of hours, miles to use technology that is designed to be used anywhere, I think are gone. But I think coming together in a collaborative multiplayer experience will be critical. I think I think that will be where a lot of the value is. Someone described it to me as a kind of a, a fun factory or, well, I think originally it was a, a distraction theme park, the office, which I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with, but I do think that maybe if that is what the office is good for, maybe we need to actually go further with that. Maybe we need to make a social experience, a social event out of the office. Um, anybody who kind of has any involvement in social networks um, or building or creating social networks will know that one of the big metrics that they use is TTF, time to fun. And the shorter, the narrower that you can 
make that time um, to fun from the moment you enter an, a, a social app to the moment you first experience that joy and fun experience, the longer you'll stay and the more repeat usage you'll have of that, that app. And I think the same goes for the office. If we think of the office as a, a social product where time to fun will be important, the time to interact with colleagues, the times to go for after work drinks, the time to, um, you know, attend book clubs, whatever it is, but I'd be reluctant to kind of, um, to put any kind of boundaries on what I think people should be using these headquarters for. I think people should be using these in ad hoc ways that make them happy and bring joy to their lives that they're not able to get from the home office environment. Well, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of learnings and lessons to take from what you just said, and um, I think it extends beyond just the head office in the HQ, but to all commercial real estate um, landlords operators should be thinking in the same way. And and I'll just, if I may, add on to the TTF, the time to fund, and and I might change the word fund to stimulation, and okay. um, <laughs> and, and stimulation could be fun for sure, but it also could be stimulating the brain in a, in, in, in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a knowledge mindset and a knowledge capacity and, and a growth capacity um, in, in, in various different st- stimulations. Got to be careful with that word, but not, yeah. not in, not any kind of um, weird, <laughs> weird way. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think that's very interesting. Uh, I, I think the, the, the important thing about that is, you know, I think maybe within real estate, we've, we've had blinkers on for quite some time. And I think we've failed to see that, you know, the biggest competitors for physical space um, are digital space. And I think we're seeing that shift towards kind of take up in digital space at the moment. And that actually our competitors are Zoom, our competitors are Twitch and Discord and watching YouTube and, you know, places where people are, as you say, getting stimulation, engagement, joy it's 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 quite fascinating actually i I do agree with the stimulation point in some ways i would maybe argue that kind of intellectual stimulation isn't just enough most people that won't just read a book because you know they think they'll gain some kind of knowledge or or insight there actually has to be an entertainment aspect to it an enjoyment aspect to it otherwise we would all just start picking up textbooks and reading them cover to cover well said Okay, good point, and point taken. Alex, you've said earlier, and you say it in the report, that companies that get hybrid right will ensure time spent remote or in the office is maximized. But what about companies that don't get it right, or what about the companies that end up staying office-centric? This is the big one for me. I think it's um, – I wrote an article a while back now – around the um, remote prisoners dilemma. And I think there's a massive talent element to this. I think it's dangerous to make these decisions to stay 100%. I think both ways. It's dangerous to make a decision to stay 100% in the office, just as it's dangerous to make a decision and say we'll go 100% work from anywhere. You have to think as well about what your competitors are doing. And I think this has been my biggest perhaps turn off at some of the comments made by the Goldman Sachs CEO recently. It's, it's, it's one thing to say that and, and, you know, anyone can make comments about 
to work culture at Goldman Sachs. But when you have a competitor such as HSBC that has gone and said, okay, well, we'll actually offer you far more flexibility. Um, we'll allow you to work in the office when you know when you would like, work from remotely when you would like. It it seems a bit of a no-brainer if you're a talented uh, employee in a tight labor market. You're going to go for that second company, aren't you? You're going to go for the the HSBC. Now, I, I think what we'll see is that the talented employees will. Um, I think they will want to work for companies, for remote teams that enable that self-management culture. And I think you'll start to see, maybe not immediately, but the most productive employees will start to leave those organizations that are fully 100% in the office. Then I think you know productivity will start to drop and managers will be pleading for the return to the um, the office of everyone and you know blame every blame remote work as a um, as an issue. So I think there's a lot of unintended consequences and kind of third order effects that will come out of this. I would I personally think you'd have to be a pretty brave head of HR or head of real estate right now to demand 100% return to the office. Well, like I said, I'm going to be watching these companies that are going uh, hybrid and announcing all these work from anywhere policies. There is a website uh, people should look up. is called uh, remote.lifeshack.io. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And they're tracking all of these remote work companies um, or hybrid mm. companies. So it'd be interesting, all the benefits that they're, that they're providing for their, for their team. So uh, there's our list of future Fortune 500 companies, potentially. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, think, I think you're right. I think we will see, I think we're already starting to see, um, and maybe they're being held up on a pedestal a little bit too high, but I think we will see remote first organizations that have, you know, learned how to harness the tools of a digital first world, I think they will be hugely successful Fortune 500 companies in the not too distant future. And I think there's a lot of learnings to take from them. The website you just indicated sounds great. You know, the likes of um, GitHub, Gumroad, organizations that are out there trying, experimenting, failing, I'm sure, in some ways, but iterating to hopefully create that ideal work experience for their employees. Well, Alex, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about your report. Um, again, we'll put this in the show notes for people to download. I have a quick fire round for you. Uh, you know how it works. You're a fan of the podcast. So really quick questions, quick answers. And that first question is, who inspires you in commercial real estate? It has to be draw Palad. Anybody who doesn't know who that is, um, I would suggest you go and look him up. His newsletter is fantastic. He's building a community of like-minded individuals. And I think, you know, the, the biggest the biggest test of whether someone's building a community is whether you can kind of step away and whether the community continues without without you being there. What Anthony Slumbers and Draw Palad have done with their um kind of cohort course is is fantastic and the amount of conversations i have with people who will say to me have you done the course have you been this have you met such and such i think speaks you know a, a thousand words um beyond what draw and anthony could say themselves 
All right. So my next question for you, Alex, is what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? I'm a big podcast fan. I think probably we all kind of over time start to just consume the same things. Um, definitely someone who was a fan of the, the Tim Ferriss of the world. Um, but more recently, I, I think I'm moving more in towards these niche podcasts. And uh, one I'm a big fan of at the moment is Mark Luther. Luther, Luther. Um, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. but is the, uh, the founder of the Charter Cities movement. And his podcast is, is fantastic on, on all things kind of new city building, new world thinking. So definitely recommend that. Excellent. Well, I'll have to look that one up and we'll put that in the show notes as well because it sounds fascinating. Uh, my last question for you, Alex, is um, when we can travel again, uh, which is coming soon, hopefully, to the UK, um, where is your favorite holiday destination? I think I would definitely say Copenhagen. Um, it's maybe not the typical kind of holiday de- destination, but as someone that's you know, a fan of the way of life, they live out there. If only Copenhagen was the same all year round as it is in summer, I think it would be the perfect place to to live. Perhaps a little bit chilly for me in the um, in the winter, but yeah, Copenhagen is definitely a, a, a city that I'm deeply in love with. I enjoyed Copenhagen, and and I was there in the warmer months, um, so <laughs> I, I can concur. If it if Copenhagen was a little bit further south, then I'd probably uh, agree with you 100%. I did have a really good street dog there once, um, and they have this. It's like a, a hot dog, but it's got these little toppings on it. It's just, anyways, delicious. I love the street dogs in Copenhagen. I, for a moment, I thought you were talking about kind of stray <laughs> dogs that are uh, no, staying no, outside no. your apartment, but. Uh, Hot dogs, yeah, okay. Glizzies, as someone described it to me the uh, the other day, a, a glizzy. So okay. there you go, some, uh, some hot dog knowledge to end the podcast. Uh, Excellent. There we go. Well, we have wine uh, knowledge in some podcasts and hot dog knowledge in others. But uh, <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, definitely feel free to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Alex Turner, CBRE. You can find me on Twitter, PropTech Alex. I think I maybe need to change that handle <laughs> at some point. Feeling a little bit cringy now, a little bit outdated, but uh, definitely feel free to connect with me and they can check out my my newsletter, proptechonapage.com. Well, we'll include that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, thank you very much, Alex. Be sure to connect with him on social media. And thank you for tuning in today. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.